John chapter number 10 this morning, and uh, I'd like to preach to you for a few moments on one of the more familiar passages of Scripture, but I hope it'll be a help to you and a blessing and encourage me as I read it. When I think of what the Lord does for us, I tell you, we'll, we'll never say enough about what the Lord's done for us. And uh, I, am, I am determined, you know, there is a whole counsel of God. Somebody say amen to that. There's a whole counsel of God. But uh, I'm determined to continue to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't believe we ever go wrong in preaching the gospel, do we? I'm, I'm aware that uh, the gospel is contained in the Word of God. I'm aware that the gospel is not the whole sum total of the Word of God. Much in the Word of God that's not the gospel but is beneficial to us. But I think there's always a place for the gospel. Amen. I think that's always the main place. John chapter number 10 this morning. I'd like to read just two verses to you. Verses 9 and 10. The Word of God says this, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Let's read that once more. Not very much there. Let's read it once more. Not very long. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, I ask that You'd bless the preaching of Your Word this morning. Lord, that You'd lift up Your Son, Jesus Christ. We know, Father, that as He's lifted up, He'll draw all men unto Himself. So, Lord, help us now in these next few moments to decrease, that He might increase. Lord, I pray for the power of the Holy Ghost in preaching. Lord, how prideful we'd be to, to claim that we don't need it. We all need it. Every one of us needs it. So, Father, I pray that through the unction and power and wooing and influence of the Spirit of God, Your Word would be preached and Your Word would be received unto Your glory. Lord, we love You this morning. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. John chapter number 10 is one of the more familiar passages in the Word of God. We have several of these I Am statements found in the book of John. And uh, there were several times that the Lord would say things like, I'm the bread of life. He'd say, I'm the door, as we've read here. He'd say, I'm the good shepherd. He'd say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He'd say, I am the resurrection and the life. We understand that each of these statements contains in them a lesson and a truth that points us towards the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me say that I have a burden in this day that we live in to do more to point men and women towards the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll go ahead and confess to you that I am of no help to you. I cannot meet your need. I cannot do for you what needs to be done. The church that you sit in and the people you're surrounded by cannot do for you what you need done in your life. But I can point you to one that I know, and I know because I've been there. I know because I've been to Calvary. I came as a sinner in need of salvation, and He met my need. I came and drank of the water of that well, and it became in me a well of water springing up into life everlasting. I don't thirst anymore. There's times I might have to come back and get another drink, but I never need a new well. Somebody say amen to that. When He saved me, He did an eternal work. And in the Word of God, we have more and more said about this eternal work and this matter of salvation 
for you and I. Now, let me say that I am aware that there is a contextual understanding to John chapter number 10. I am aware of what he's teaching concerning the Jews, concerning prophets of old, both true and false. I am keenly aware of the fact that when he talks in this passage about the thieves, I know he's talking about uh, prophets and false prophets of old. I'm aware that he is, when he's talking about the Gentile churches, when he says that I have sheep that are not of this fold, but I'm going to bring them into this fold, and there'll be one fold, one shepherd. I'm aware of all that, but I believe there is a truth that we can gain here in the laid out proposal of salvation to the lost sinner. Everybody's relationship with God, if they've got one, began at the point we're going to preach on this morning. Now, you may have never read John chapter 10 when you got saved. Nobody may have said to you in these words that Christ is the door and you have to enter in that door. But the basic fundamental and foundational truths that are taught here were conveyed to you when you got born again. And that was this, that you, my friend, when you were lost in sin, were on the outside. And there was a place on the inside that you wanted to be. Somebody help me now. And there was only one way to get on the inside. And so Christ makes a few statements, and I want to share them with you this morning. Let me say by introduction that we have a powerful truth conveyed to us in this simple statement of title that the Lord uses. Notice it with me in verse 9. He says, I am the door. Now, we can learn a wealth of things just from that right there. In fact, that we could never exhaust that Scripture if we wanted to preach on it from now till the Lord comes back. We'd always find things to say about it. There is a wealth of understanding and truth there. Let me say, first off, that this was an expressive title. You see, when the Lord says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and when He says, I am the resurrection and the life, and when He says, I am the good shepherd, and when He says, I am the bread of life, You and me, that might not mean much to us, but to the Jews that sat there listening to him, that meant a whole lot. You say, why is that, preacher? Well, there was a day when the Jews were in bondage, millions of them as slaves in Egypt's land, and God spoke to a man by the name of Moses from a burning bush. And he told Moses to go back to Egypt and to command Pharaoh to let God's people go to allow them out of the bondage and out of the chains of slavery that they had been in. And Moses, you know, he's like most of us. He didn't think he could do it. And he said, Lord, you know, I mean, I I can't talk well. I can't speak well. I'm not an eloquent man. Why would they listen to me? Egypt is a world power. They are an economic power. They are a military power. Not only that, my name is Mud in that group because I exiled, I left, I ran, I fled from those things. I esteemed the riches of, or the reproach of Christ of greater uh, value than the riches in Egypt. I left that land. They hate me there. Why would they listen to me? The Lord speaks out of the midst of that bush, and He says this. He says, Moses, here's what I want you to tell him. When you walk in front of that Pharaoh, who to an Egyptian is God. Am I right? To an Egyptian, that Pharaoh was God. One of many gods. And they ask you what God sent you. You tell them that I am hath sent you. You say, now, preacher, what did the Lord mean by that? Well, he was describing himself as the ever-present God. He was describing himself as the omnipotent God. He was describing himself as the omniscient God. He was describing himself as the one that never was but always is. Somebody say amen to that. The one that never uh, will reach a day when he used to be but is always in the moment all he's ever been. He is the I Am. 
Now, the Jews, they had been hearing a lot of Christ's teachings. And there was sort of a little bit of debate. And you can imagine them talking to, them each, uh, you know, to each other. And one of them saying, you know, I like that Jesus fella. Um, I, you know, I like him pretty well. But you know, he does say he's the Son of God, right? And you can imagine somebody else saying, well, now, wait a minute. Now, I've not heard anything like that. Don't put words in his mouth. I, I, I don't know that that's what he said. Maybe there's a little dispute here. Maybe someone else said, no, 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 I think I heard him say that. To settle all dispute, let me say this, that Christ always claimed to be the Son of God and God in the flesh. And when he looked at those Jews gathered around him and he said, I am, he was using the divine title of omnipotence and attributing it to himself. He wasn't just saying, poor pitiful little old me, the carpenter from Galilee. He was saying, I am very God in the flesh. And I will make no dispute about who I am. I am the Son of God. Let me say that not only was it a divine expression, but it was a descriptive expression. Because we understand that though he is attributing to himself the fact that he is very God in the flesh, we do have a gospel record that tells us who this man, the Lord Jesus Christ... And by the way, he was God and he was man. And he is God and he is man. You know, we don't talk about that, but the reason he has a glorified body, he's still touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Now, if he was just a spirit, God is a spirit, right? They that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. If he was only God, then he couldn't be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Uh, whenever he left this world and ascended up to the throne room of God, he did not at that point cease to be a 100% man. He is still a 100% man and still a 100% God. You say, how do you know that? Because one day he's coming back. And my friend, when he comes back, he's not coming back as a spirit. He's coming back as a soldier and as a king of kings riding upon the back of a white horse with his vesture dipped in blood and a name written on his thigh. So he's still, he's still a 100% God, but he's still a 100% Man, and we have a gospel record concerning who that is. Let me say that that man is not Muhammad. I mean, hey, I ain't here to pick a fight with anybody. But let me tell you something. Fights have been brought to us. We better start speaking up. I mean, it is, I, I'm not talking about Muhammad this morning. I'm not talking about Buddha this morning. I'm not talking about Confucius this morning. I'm not talking about Joseph Smith this morning. I'm not talking about Mary Baker, uh, Eddie, uh, you know, Smith, Trump, uh, whatever it is. That's not who I'm talking about. I'm talking about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The very one that walked the dusty streets of Galilee, that opened the eyes of the blind, that loosed the tongue of the dumb, that opened the ears of the deaf. The very one that stood outside of a cold and dark and hopeless tomb and spoke and said, Lazarus, come forth. That's who I'm talking about. I'm talking about the one that came unto his own, was born in a manger in Bethlehem. We're coming up on Christmas. You ready for your Christmas season preaching? Here it is. Born in a manger in Bethlehem, right? Born of a virgin. I believe that. I know a lot of seminaries don't, and I know a lot of people with a lot of letters after their names and so many degrees they'd put a thermometer to shame. Don't believe that, but I do believe that. I believe he was born of a virgin. I still believe he's born of a virgin. Whether I believe it or not won't change the fact that he was born of a virgin. I believe that. That's who we're talking about this morning. Born in Bethlehem, Ephrathah. Born and laid in a manger, the very Son of God incarnate in the flesh. That's who I'm talking about this morning. I'm not talking about just uh, pick your teacher of choice. That's not who I'm talking about this morning. I'm not talking about whoever makes you feel comfortable and warm and fuzzy inside. I'm not talking about whoever the, the ACLU allows us to believe in. I'm not, I'm not talking about whoever it is that political correctness dictates is appropriate for us to believe in. I'm talking about Jesus Christ, the God of Christianity. 
I think this was an expressive title, but I think it was an exclusive title. And I can't say a lot about it because I already preached it, but he says, I am the door. The door. He didn't say, I'm just the front door. He didn't say, I'm just the side door. I'm just the back door. I'm just one of many doors. He says, I am the door. That is to the exclusion of all other doors. <laughs> That's to the exclusion of all other doors. I know we don't like exclusivity. We like inclusivity. That, that, that is the nature of humanity. We don't like conflict, do we? We don't like, hey, listen, you, you, I, I, any, everybody has to deal with confrontation from time to time. Am I right? Let me tell you something. If you look for confrontation, there's something wrong. Oh, man, we are Baptists, aren't we? There's always going to be confrontation. Glory! But we ought to avoid confrontation as best as possible. I don't think we ought to long for or love confrontation, but confrontation is a reality of the human experience. Let me tell you something. There's no room for compromise on this issue. There's no wiggle room. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but Jesus Christ is the only way, the only truth, the only life. If you believe otherwise, you're wrong. And I don't want you to be wrong. I want you to get right. And just me telling you that you're right when you're wrong won't make you right. The question is, what do you believe about Him? He is the door, not one of many. It was an exclusive title, but let me say it's an encouraging title. You say, wait a minute, preacher, what do you mean it is encouraging? Well, he could have said he's a lot of things, and he is a lot of things. He is the Lion of the tribe of Judah, right? He is the Man of Sorrows, right? Well acquainted with grief. He, he, he is a lot of things. He is, in the Old Testament, the Angel of the Lord that bore a flaming sword. I, I, there's a lot of things, but it encourages me. And if you're here and lost without Christ, I, I want to encourage you to say that He's the door. He's the door. <laughs> Listen, He's not the wall. He's the door. You say, what do you mean, preacher? You have, a, you have a world that wants to tell you that He's nothing but the wall, and He's there to keep you out. He's there to divide and bring division. I know He said that He'd send a sword, but let me tell you something. He's not there to be the wall. He's there to be the door. He's there to provide a way for the lost sinner to come unto a holy God. He's there. He, listen, He's not there to bar the way. The law was there to bar the way, but grace came to open the way. Paul said, we have access by faith through Him. He is the door this morning. I want you to notice a few things in this passage. That was just an introduction. But I, I want you to notice that we have in these next few words the proposal of salvation. Isn't it interesting? You'll find the terms of salvation, if you want to call them thus, or, or, or the details or the bones or the instructions or whatever, whatever kind of semantics you might favor, the way of salvation it's placed and explained in a lot of different ways in Scripture. Sometimes salvation is described as taking a bite of that bread of life. Sometimes salvation is described as taking a drink of that everlasting water. Sometimes salvation is described even as simply as just looking and living. And Christ describes it in a whole new way here in John chapter 10. Notice this. First off, the simplicity of salvation. He says, by me, if any man enter... In. That's how he describes it. Now, I want you to notice two things about that. Number one, I want you to notice that there is an absence of work. Now, I don't know about you, but everybody that's in here, you got in through the doors, right? Our windows don't even open. <laughs> so you came in through the doors. 
Now, I know it's a Sunday morning and you stayed up late Saturday night and, and you know, some of you rejoicing in your football team, some of you grieving in your football teams, but, but you woke up this morning. You might be tired because you uh, stayed up late or you might be tired because you woke up early. You might be tired for a myriad of reasons, but I'll tell you one reason that you're not worn out. It wasn't because of the path that you took from the outside to the inside of this building. There's no implication of work here. And I think that we need to be very, very clear and distinct. I believe in repentance. Somebody say amen to that. I believe in repentance. But repentance is not a work. There is a work of repentance. And there is an expression of repentance. Just as faith without works is dead, but faith and works are not synonymous one with another. But they're also, listen carefully, faith and works are not synonymous. But nor are they mutually exclusive one of the other. There will always... My preacher used to say it this way when I was growing up. He'd say, I don't believe in faith and works. I believe in a faith that does work. And so where real faith abides, it will have an outgrowth and an expression in our lives. The same thing's true of repentance. Repentance, listen, repentance isn't the liquor or or the, the drunkard pouring out his liquor. Repentance is the decision to do it and the want to to get rid of it. It may express itself in that action, but that's not what the repentance is. You say, now, preacher, why split hairs about it? Well, I split hairs about it because God split hairs about it. Because God tells us that by grace or by faith are you saved, or by grace are you saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. God makes it very clear to us that it's not a matter of works. And He describes it in such a simple manner. If any man enter in. Just like passing through a gate. There's no implication of work here. There's, there's an absence of work. But let me say, there is an application of the will found here. It doesn't say if any man's dragged in. We talked a little bit about this in, in Sunday school. Uh, I, 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 I'm not a big advocate of this whole thing of dragging people down an aisle. I ain't talking about marriage. <laughs> but that's a whole different discussion. But I'm talking about, you know, you, you pull someone into the church house and, you know, they, they don't know they need to be saved and they don't want to be saved, but you feel like you know enough for the both of them and you drag them down the aisle. Let me tell you something. If God can't get them down the aisle, then you getting them down there isn't going to do any good. They all have to make a personal decision. Not if any man's dragged in, not if any man's pushed in, but if any man enter in. How simple and how beautiful is that picture? Oh, my. Let me tell you something. There is a danger that we get drawn away from the simplicity that is in Christ. Let me tell you something. The gospel, I understand that the gospel is a hard thing for a sinner, but it should never be a complicated thing for a sinner. It is hard to acknowledge that the way that you've been believing is wrong. It's hard to acknowledge that your good works aren't enough. It's hard to acknowledge that you'd die and go to the same hell that all those people that you criticize and look down on are headed to. I know that that's difficult. I know that is an offense and the preaching of the cross of Christ is offensive to those that have not believed. But let me tell you something, though it may be hard in that respect, it's never complicated. Never, in fact, it's so simple that it could be described in this simplicity of statement, just enter in. I see the simplicity of this proposal. I see the substance of this proposal. Why do you enter in? Do you enter in because the grass is greener on the inside than the outside? No. Do you enter in because you want to be around the kind of people that you enjoy being around? I mean, I guess sheep like to be around sheep, right? No. Why does the sheep enter into the fold? Look. If any man shall enter in, he shall be saved. 
That's the purpose of it. Let me tell you something. I am aware of the work that God has to do in the life of a believer once they've been born again. I believe God has that work to do in all of our lives after we've been born again. Uh, it's not a matter of, hey, I've got my ticket to glory and now I'm all right and I don't never have to read my Bible or pray or go to church or, or walk with God. We understand that's not true. We understand that there is a life to be lived afterwards and we'll even preach about it here in just a moment. Not just life, but life more abundantly. I'm aware of that. But the substance of why the sinner comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not just to fix his marriage, it's not just to kick a habit, it's not just to improve his situation, it's not just to try to straighten out his emotions, it's not to try to get ahead in life. There is one and one reason alone that the sinner comes to know Christ, and that is because he needs to be saved. Let us never downplay that. Listen, if you're here today, you might have a lot of problems in your life. I don't know. I don't know everybody that's here. You, as you're here today, you might have a lot of problems, but if you're lost, you've got one problem that's a lot bigger than all the other problems. And that problem is your need of Christ's salvation. You may get your debt straightened out. You may get your marriage straightened out. You may get your emotions straightened out. You may get your family straightened out. But to get it all straightened out, only to leave this world and perish in damnation and die and go to a devil's hell, uh, friend, that's not salvation. That's not hope. Uh, That's not faith. That's not the life that God has for us. I'm not saying God can't do a work in those other things. Uh, Thank the Lord. Uh, Let me tell you something. You're surrounded by people that can tell you how God works in our lives. But when you come to Christ, it's not just so He can clean up the outside. It's so He can save you from your sins. Save you from your lost condition. We see the substance of this, but we see the satisfaction of this. Notice what he says. He shall go in and out and find pasture. A lot of people have struggled with that. A lot of people have stumbled at that verse because they think, well, if you go in and then you go out, does that mean that you're, you're saved and then you're not saved? No, no. Let Scripture be its own commentary. Can we do that? Uh, how many times have you read in the Old Testament where the Bible talks about a king, talks about a leader, and says that by him Israel went in and out. Do you know what I'm talking about? Somebody testify. If you know what I'm talking about, you read in the Old Testament, it says that under Joshua or under David or under any of the judges, that by him Israel went in and out. You know what it means? It means that under his leadership, I like this, the army marched. You know what the Lord is saying to these that are here? Uh, in John chapter number 10, he's saying, listen, if you'll just come to me, I'll save you. And I'll give you a new leader in life. I'll give you a new love in life. I'll give you a new government in life. I'll give you guidance. I'll give you provision. I'll give you peace. I'll be your master. I'll be the one that guides you, that holds your hand. When you go into the battle, I'll go in with you. When you come back in victory, I'll come back with you. I promise I'll satisfy you and I'll lead you all the way. It says, go in and out and what? And find pasture. Find pasture. I'm glad. Listen, he don't lead us to barren lands. Let me say that again. I, I felt something on it. I think you will too if we say it six, seven more times. He don't lead us to barren lands. He brings us out of Lodabar, neighbor. He don't take us back in. He brings us out of the land of no bread. Where does He bring us? He brings us to Bethlehem, the house of bread. He takes us to the place of His presence. He sets us a seat at His table. That's the kind of God I've got. Can I just brag on Him for just a moment this morning? That's the kind of Savior that I have. If you don't know Him, friend, oh, you ought to get to know Him because He's awful good. He's been so good in my life. He's been so blessing in my life. 
He took me out of a place where I had no hope, where I had no strength, where I had no help. I was just a little boy. And I had parents that loved me. And I had people that loved me. But no one could have protected me from walking in the course of darkness in the course of this world. I was on the same path that everybody else was on. But bless His holy name, He saved me. And He put my feet on a solid rock. And He established my goings. Man, that's the kind of God I'm talking about. He loves you this morning. He'll save you this morning. We spend a lot of time trying to use our theology to corner people. Can I just use my praise to coerce you for a little bit this morning and tell you that you may think he can't, but he can. I know he can. I can show you people that will tell you that he can. I can tell you that he can. He can save you. He loves you this morning. He can do for you what you can't do for yourself. You say, will he satisfy me? Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am, he will. He'll satisfy you. You'll go in and out and you'll find pasture. That's the the proposal that's laid before. But then I want you to notice the plan of Satan. What's the other option? What's the other side of the coin? Well, it says this in verse number 10, the thief. Now, again, I understand in a strict exposition next to Jesus of this Scripture, I understand he's talking about false prophets uh, of days of old, but we understand who false prophets are sent and influenced by, don't we? We understand who, who it is. We, we know there is a mystery of iniquity that now worketh. Let me tell you something. Don't scratch your head at this old world. It's just the mystery of iniquity working. The spirit of Antichrist, it was, uh, listen, it was there in John's day, and it's here in this day. You say, man, it just seems like everybody has a problem with Christianity. Can I, can I put it a different way? They're going to call me nuts for saying this. People say, well, it just seems like everybody has a problem with Christianity. No, folks don't have a problem with Christianity. They've got a problem with Christ. In, in fact, it's almost like they're not pro-Christ. They're what? Anti. Whew. Oh, my, I think we just accidentally learned something, didn't we? You see, there's always been a spirit of Antichrist. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Uh, light came into the world, but men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. You say, why is this old world getting so wicked? Because that's the course that it walks. It's Antichrist. You say, well, what's going to happen? Well, one day they're going to find one man that fulfills every single lust and desire and inhibition and, and ambition that they've got, and they're going to set him up, and they're going to say, there he is. There's the Antichrist. That's what we're headed towards. Say, is he living? Well, I don't know if he's living or not. He could be. He could be. But we see in this passage that there is a thief that's, that's working. And I believe that Satan has a desire for your life. One of the things we need to tell our young people consistently is that Satan wants them. I don't think they're aware of that. I, I, I think they know basically that there's people that want them to do wrong and do, do bad. But, but I think we, we'd be benefited if we try to help our young people understand Satan wants your life. He's after you. He's roaming about. He's walking about, seeking whom he may devour. He's looking for you. You understand that? And what does he want to do? Well, there's three things. Number one, I want you to notice that his plan is to steal. The devil is the great counterfeiter. In fact, the, the devil is not a creative being. He is a polluting being. He is a corrupting being. He cannot create anything in and of himself. Can I give you an example? Do you remember what the, the, the miracle was that, uh, that Pharaoh's magicians could not replicate there in the book of Exodus? They could do a lot of things. Uh, they, they could, they could, you know, draw the frogs out of the waters. They, they could, they could turn the staff, uh, into a snake. They could do a lot of things, but they could not turn the sand into lice. Do you know why that is? Because they could not create life. Satan is the same way. They were working under his power. He has no ability. He has nothing in and of himself. He seeks only to steal and pollute and corrupt and pervert that which God has. Let me tell you something. The devil doesn't want you so he can benefit you. 
He's trying to get out of your life everything that He can. How many of you know people, and you can or don't have to raise your hand, it don't matter to me. How many of you know people in your life that you've seen Satan take everything away from them that they've got? He's stolen everything. He's drawn everything out of their life. He's sucked every bit of life and joy out of them. He stole it and corrupted it. That's what he does. Am I right? I wrote down three things. I could write down 300. I believe he wants to steal our purity. He wants to steal our purity. Listen, young people, there's some things you give away you can't get back. I'm glad God forgives, aren't you? And there's people in this room that can testify they had made mistakes in their life. God gave them the healing and the grace to, to get forgiveness and to move on and move past it. Let me tell you something, that's something he wants to steal from you. And I don't just mean your purity in the sense of, of the physical realm, although that's absolutely true, but the purity of mind, the purity of spirit, the purity of your love for the, for the Lord and the, uh, the Lord's people. He wants to rob you of that. We've all become cynics. I'm as guilty as anybody. Let me tell you something. We've all become cynics. We all know there's a game and we know what it is, right? We all know the game. Let me tell you something. Uh, you don't ever have to worry that the Lord is running a game on you. He's always honest. He's always open. He's always straightforward. The devil, he won't deal with you that way. He's the father of lies. He wants to steal. He wants to kill. He wants to take anything bright and beautiful and vibrant that might be produced in your life, and he wants to snuff it out. He wants to destroy everything that you have. You say, now, preacher, I know this. The the devil's a bad dude. Do you really know it? Do you really know it? Can it be evidenced by your life? Do we really live? Do we, are, are we sober? Are we vigilant as Peter commanded us to be? Are we, are we watching for the slight and the cunning and the deception of Satan? We need to understand there's a danger walking around out there. If the Lord helps me to, I'm going to preach not on Job. Uh, go ahead and ask Job one of these days when you get to glory if the devil's real. He'll tell you that he is. And there was a spiritual attack taking place in Job's life. Let me tell you something. Christian and lost person alike, he wants to leave your life in pieces. That's what he wants. He wants to leave your life so shattered that nobody could ever pick the pieces up again. You say, preacher, I'm already there. Well, I know somebody you can take those pieces to. But if you're not there yet, don't get there, friend. Don't get there. Don't believe the lie that Satan would have you to believe. You say, but the world says, yeah. Who do you think's the God of this world? That's why the world's telling you that. Let me tell you something. Listen to the redeemed. Listen to the redeemed. You came here today, I don't know what you expected, but I'll tell you what you got. You came through these, these doors, you heard people rejoice that their sins were nailed to a cross. Rejoice that God doesn't remember them anymore. Rejoice that those Satan should buffet. Hey, uh, though he would try to accuse us, we've been redeemed by the grace of God. you got to hear people rejoice and say, I've never been sorry for the day that I came to know Christ. you got to hear people rejoice about the truth and the reality of heaven one day and singing with the redeemed. I'm saying, open your eyes, open your ears, look around. And you say, where's the proof? Here's the proof. Here's a group of people that will tell you that God's real, that He loves you. They'll will tell you that Satan's a liar and he's wicked, he's a serpent, and he's a thief and he wants to destroy your life. We We see the plan of Satan, but finally I want you to notice the promise of the Savior. He says, all right, here's your choice this morning. Here's your choice. He said, I'm the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. He shall go in and out and find pasture. He says, that's what I've got to offer. And he says, now here's Satan, the thief. He cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's your choice. 
He says, I want to make you a promise if you'll choose me. Notice three things. First off, His presence. It says in verse number 10, I am come that they might have life. Now, I'm aware of what's being focused on there. I'm aware it's talking about the incarnation of Christ and Him coming to die on Calvary. But let me say that I believe there's, there's a hint there. And I believe especially within the context of the notion of a sheepfold, because He's going to say here in just a moment, you know what He's going to say? He's going to say, I'm the good shepherd. And the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. You know that that shepherd, he doesn't just go out, turn him into the fold, and then go in the house and go to bed. Uh, if you were to go and look in Oriental lands, oftentimes you would see a hut that was there right with the sheepfold. It wouldn't be where the shepherd normally lived, but when he had the sheep out and he was seeking and finding pasture, you know what he did? He dwelt in their presence. Close where he might hear the rustling of a wolf peering through the brush, close where he might hear the roar and low rumble of a bear creeping up that they might steal away one of those sheep. And now he was ever present and ever close. The Son of God, when he left heaven and was incarnate as man and bore our sins upon Calvary. Listen, when he resurrected and rose and ascended, I'm aware that physically speaking, he's at the right hand of God. But you and I understand that spiritually speaking, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, he's ever present with us. You know what he said? I like this. Let me tell you something. We don't, we don't enjoy Scripture enough. You know that? You know what he said? He said, Lo, I am with you. Always. I'm with you always. He promises His presence to you. Say, how can I get close to God? Through Calvary. Say, I'm lost, preacher. I've had religion, but I don't know anything about what you're talking about this morning. How do I get there? You get there through the door, through Jesus Christ. And through that way and that way alone can you be uh, drawn nigh unto the God of heaven. He promises His presence. He promises His power. He says that they might have life. Let me say this, that there there are two understandings here in this passage, I think. One is the notion of of God's ability to resurrect the lost sinner, that they might have life. He's going to talk about something here in a moment that we'll preach on, but he says that they might have life. When God saves you, He doesn't just band-aid you. He doesn't just paint you up and dress you up. He doesn't just uh, try to hold you together. You know, we live in the South where everything's fixed by duct tape. Somebody say amen to that. He doesn't just duct tape you together. You're dead in your sins, and He'll resurrect you. That's what, that's what He's offering today. You understand that? He said, preacher, I just feel so dead inside. Well, I know somebody that can do something about that. You are dead inside. He said, I've never been saved before. Then you're dead in trespasses and sins. That's what Ephesians chapter 2 says. You can look it up. And ye hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. That's all of us. Before we came to Calvary, we were dead. But he's in the life-giving business. You say, who do I go to to fix that? Go to the resurrection and go to the life. Because, <laughs> oh my... Finally, I want you to notice, not only does He promise His presence and His power, but He promises His provision. We might even say it this way, He promises our praise. He says that they might have it more abundantly. Now, what's He talking about there? Well, we understand that in the context of what Christ is teaching in John chapter number 10, He's talking about the history of Israel, right? 
He's saying there's been many thieves. That anybody that's come in, climbed up the wall, and hasn't gone in through the door, they're a thief, they're a robber, and, and the sheep have not heard their voice, but they hear my voice because I'm the good shepherd. And he's saying this. He's saying you've had life in a sense, Israel. You've had life in a sense. Unto you has been the oracles have been committed and the covenants and the ordinances and all these things. You've known God in some sense, but he says, I'm come, not that you just might have life, but that you might have it more abundantly. What's he talking about? Well, where did that abundant life come from? It comes from the gift that he brought from the throne room of grace when he resurrected. You say, what, what gift was that? The Bible says that he, he ascended on high and he brought gifts unto men. Then you know what it does? It starts to list the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Don't get nervous. Don't get nervous. He's talking about, through that abundant life, He's talking about the indwelling and presence and power of the Holy Spirit. That's what He's talking about. Hey, listen, don't just stay with me when I'm saying something and pushing the shout button. When we're talking doctrine, you've got to stay. That's the deal, okay? You've got to stay with me too. You know, I, you know I'm preaching truth this morning about this. Don't get nervous when we talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Don't get nervous about other tongues. Listen, I can barely talk in English. I sure ain't going to try to talk in another tongue. Somebody say amen to that. I'm not talking about any kind of Bapticostal nonsense this morning. That's not what I'm talking about. But let me tell you something. I understand. I understand that that which is perfect has come. Somebody say amen right there. And so that which is in part has ceased. And I, I'm not, I don't have time this morning to preach against the tongues movement. I'll gladly do it when there's time for it. But that doesn't mean that there aren't still gifts of the Holy Spirit. Right? There are still... Hey, Sunday school class, you've been in, you've been in First and Second Corinthians now. Help me now. There are still gifts of the Holy Spirit. Sure there are. Read your Bible. That's what he's talking about when he says the abundant life. He's talking about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Not just the life like the Jews had have had had in, in years past, but a new kind of life that would be given and bestowed upon us through the earnest of our redemption. That's the Spirit of God as He indwells us. Can I put it this way? And I'll, I'll just I'll close with this because you're all looking at me funny now and that's usually time to close. He won't just give you life. Friend, He'll give you something worth living for. He'll give you joy. <laughs> He'll give you peace. He'll give you strength. He doesn't just raise you from the dead and say, all right, now, find your way through. He gives you something worth living for. All over this world, I heard about it this past week, about a man taking his life. All over this world, people are despairing. All over this world, people are saying it's not worth living for. I'll be honest with you. You look outward at this world, and if you don't have anything inward, there ain't much worth living for. But as you sit here this morning, let me say, that if you don't have anything worth living for, He'll give you something worth living for. So how do I know about that, preacher? How do I get that? Well, He's the door. You enter in through Him. You accept Him as your Savior. By faith, you call unto Him and ask Him to forgive you of your sins. You do that and enter in. You know what He says? He says, you enter in, you'll be saved. I don't get much clearer than that. Amen? I don't get much clearer than that.